Have you ever asked yourself how many times during the day that uh, someone's taken your photograph? You ever wonder about that? We have all different types of ones now. The cameras are located in buildings, inside the outside of the buildings, and even truck um, stoplights, all there to photograph us. Somewhere there's a camera marking your every move, if you think about it. You've got cameras in your uh, cell phones. You've got f- cameras that you use for Facebook. All those different things are what you have, and it shows who you are. David tells us in Psalms 139 that at every moment of the day, we are under a much higher scrutiny. He reveals that the secret to understanding ourselves is to know the God who knows us. Now, we shouldn't be surprised about that. God created us. He knows us. But what is more, David describes that as an active rather than a passive knowledge. Verse 1 says there, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Now, I think it's important to note to realize that David isn't addressing us. He's addressing God. And God knows us. So if you think about it, that's where we are in our life. The God who knows us. He knew David. He knew everything about David, the good, the bad. But every single thing was known. A large company feeling it was time for a uh, makeup and shakeup hired a new CEO. And as they did, they began to see that this new CEO was very, very dedicated to what he wanted to do. On a tour of the company, he wanted to make sure he was getting rid of any slackers. The CEO noticed a guy leaning on the wall. The room was full of workers, and this person was just leaning against that that wall. He wanted them to know, the workers, that he meant business. And so he went out there, and the new CEO, CEO went up to the guy leaning against the wall and asked, how much money do you make a week? A little surprised, the young fellow spoke back and said, about $300 a week. The CEO then handed him $1,200 in cash, said, get out of here, I never want to see you again. We need workers here. And as he did that, he's feeling pretty good about himself. The CEO looked around the room and asked, does anyone want to tell me what the name is of that goof-off is? Well, from across the room, somebody said, well, yes, he's the Domino Pizza delivery boy. (laughs) Now, there was an interesting situation at one time. A 200-year-old church was being prepared for an anniversary celebration, a great time of energy, a great time of uh, getting things ready, all these type of things, when calamity struck. A normal bell ringer was called out of town. The priest immediately advertised that anything, any, another trained ringer was needed. When they replaced on the ride, the priest took him up the stair, steps, and they went up 150 feet, went round and round up to the bell tower. They went huffing and puffing, and all, of the, all the way up. And as they reached the landing, the bell ringer tripped and fell on his face first into the biggest bell of all, and it went bong. Dazed by the blow, the bell ringer then stepped back, and he stumbled, and he hit the largest bell. And the railing broke loose, and he fell all the way to the ground. 
Miraculously, he was unhurt, only stunned. So the priest thought, well, I better call an ambulance to get them over here and see what's going on. They got there and they asked him, do you know this man's name? Asked the doctor. No, the priest replied, but his face, his face sure rings the bell. <laughs> Names. Names are important. Your name is important. Many of you have a first name, a middle name, and a last name. Now, some may have a first name, a middle name, perhaps their former last name, and their last name. And some may have their name, their middle name, their hyphened former name and last name. But names are important. How many of you spend time reading a telephone book? Why don't you do that? There's all types of names in there. It's interesting that names are so important. Share a true story with you. The Cohen brothers and Mr. Henry Ford was meeting on a swelling August day when all three Cohen brothers entered the posh Dearborn, Michigan offices. Mr. Ford announced Norman Cohen, the eldest of the three. We have a remarkable invention that will revolutionize the automobile industry. Ford looked skeptical. But their threat to offer it to competing car companies kept his interest. We'd like to demonstrate to you in person. So they led Henry Ford outside, opened up a black automobile and parked in front of the building. Hyman Cohen, the middle boy, brother, opened up the door. Please step inside, Mr. Ford. What? shouted the tycoon. You're crazy. It must be over 200 degrees in that car. It is smiled Max Cohen, the little brother. But sit down, Mr. Ford, and push the white button. Intrigued, Ford pushed that white button. All of a sudden, a whoosh of freezing air started blowing from the vents all around the car, and within seconds, the automobile was not only comfortable, it was quite cool. Well, this is amazing. How much do you want for the the patent? Norman spoke up and said, the price is $1 million. Then he paused and he said, but there's something else, Mr. Ford. The name Cohen Brothers Air Conditioning must be stamped right next to the Ford logo. But with Ford, there was no way he was going to have anything along his logo. Some other name. Well, they angled back and forth for a while, and finally they settled for a price, $5 million. But the Cohen's last name would not be, would be left, off the, left off however. Now, the first names of the Cohen brothers are emblazed upon every Ford car. I don't know if you realize that. Everyone today, we have a Ford vehicle, they have them on your, their names on the car, clearly printed on the air conditioning control panel. Norm, High, and Max. 
Yes, names. We look at Romans chapter 16, 1 through 16, really through down to 27. There are a lot of names. A lot of names. Turn to your scriptures. Excuse me. And Paul's writing this, and he starts out with, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sentia. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you. But she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Read also the church that meets at their house. And he goes on and he starts listing all these different people. In verses 1 through 16, there are 28 different people listed. 28 different people. Now I know that as you read through the Bible, you probably came to Romans chapter 16... And you've probably spent some great time reading about these people. It's probably something that is a luxury to you to help you see who the people in the Bible are. But there's 28 people in the verses 1 through 16. Throughout the entire chapter, there's about 35 names. And they're very important names, I guess. You know. Now, if you ask me, I asked you earlier, how many of you... How many of you uh, read a telephone book? Now, if you do, that's, that's tremendous. That's exciting. But the majority of us don't. Now, I hope how many of you would probably look at this scripture, verses 1 through 16, and go home and memorize those names. Because next week, if you come back and you've got all those names memorized, I'll give you a new name. A memorizer. Names. Wow. Well, why is this so important? Paul writes all these names down. Well, it's very important for us to realize what Paul is doing. You know, we have to approach the Bible many times from a systematic way in order to gain the lesson, to gain the insight. How many names are in this passage that said by count? 28. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but that seems pretty dense in terms of names, perverse. In Romans 16, this is like a long, long roll call in a class. Now, how many of you have had the experience in a class and you've got of a roll call? The teacher reads off your names. The teacher begins calling off a list of names. You wait for your name to come. And as you do, your mind begins to drift. Then suddenly, you realize the teacher has stopped calling out names. You look up, and everyone, including the teacher, is looking at you. Your name was called, but you were not paying attention. You missed it. So real calls like that are boring. They put us to sleep. In Romans 16, it's almost a roll call like that. In the scriptures, we find all types of lists. There are many wonderful texts from the Bible. There are texts from the Bible that inspire. There are texts in the Bible that bring to the eye a tear. 
Many texts from the Bible answer to, so clearly our questions of life, and we suddenly feel the presence and power of God. This scripture is from Romans 16. has none of those. Those aren't in there. It's not a wonderful, beloved passage. Few possibly have set time to even read down through it. It's a bunch of names. And names, sometimes we, we get bored with it. Can you imagine picking up the Gideon Bible there and you're in a, in a hotel and starting to read all the names in Romans 16? That'd be a great lift, wouldn't you? But I suppose the special way to describe the text is simply that this scripture is boring. Is this what God meant to us? Is this what he wanted us to do as as believers, read the entire Bible. Read all of Romans. Read other scriptures that have texts. Matthew talks about the legacy of Christ. Everyone who's there in his family are listed by name. If you wanted to find out how many names are in my family, you'd have to look them up. There's seven names. Seven middle names. Seven last names. In my family, there are 11 Grand, uh, grandchildren, our nieces and nephews. They have a name, they have a middle name, they have a last name. Nine of them are married, or uh, seven of them are married. So they have seven more names to learn. Now we also have four great nephews and nieces, and two, three, or four on the way. And they're all going to have names. That's interesting. I believe the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy 3.16 when it says, All scripture is God-inspired and is used for, for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, if we really believe that the Bible says that, then we must realize that God had a message for us. Even those texts that are certainly mundane and long and list of names, can teach us something. What does this reveal to us? What is God's message to us? Well, first it tells me that God knows your name. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mentions him. Never thought about it. All these names that are in the scriptures, God wants them there. What does that tell me? It tells me that God knows your name again. God knew the name of each and every member who is part of the church in the New Testament. Every single name. And God has always known his people by name. There are over 75 scriptures that refer to the fact that he knows your name. You know, one of the blessings and sometimes challenges is being able to get together with family. This chapter may appear to be a boring one, but it's filled with surprises. The list of names goes on and on. We can be impressed with the fact that Paul loved these people and was interested in them. Like his master, Paul knew the sheep by name. God cared. It was an atmosphere in this closing chapter of Paul that was very, very relational. It's very important. In this reading, I'm going to share a few names. Ampliatus, slave, known as insatiable. 
Andronicus, conqueror of men. Apelles, many mean wounded. Aquila, close to immovable. Aristobus, best advised. The next one is a good one. Incomparable. And as you go down this list, you'll see there's so many. have neat meaning. must have been a, a reason why they were listed. So why do I think the book of Romans closes with this catalog of names? I believe the entire chapter illustrates the concrete terms that Paul practices what he preaches. He preaches beyond race and color and social status. He preached to all people. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Nahum declared, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust the Lord, Nahum 1.7. 1 Corinthians 8.3 tells us, The man who loves God is known by God. And Jesus told us, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep. There was a woman one day, a professor in a nursing school, and professor was going to give a pop quiz. Now she says, I was very conscientious of what was going on. Very important about my taking my test, but she breezed right through it, no problems at all, until she came to the very last question. What is the name of the woman who cleans the school? Now she thought, surely this is some type of joke. I, I had seen the cleaning woman several times. She was tall, dark-haired, in her 50s. But how would I know her name? I handed the paper leaving that last question blank. But before the class ended, one student asked if the last question would count toward their quiz grade. Oh, absolutely, said the professor. In your careers, you'll meet many people, and all are significant. They deserve your attention and care, even if all you can say, do is smile and say hi. She said, I never forgot that lesson. I also learned her name, and it was Dorothy. Think about that. In the scriptures, we find so many different things about these people that are listed. When Paul himself described any of the people with anything other than their names. But indeed he does, through a lot of them. He described some as his kinsmen, or his beloved relatives. And this breaks down in many ways. Five are described as one of the brethren. Four are described as one of the holy ones. Four are described as co-workers. Four are described as kinsmen. Three are called beloved. Two are described as workers. Two are cited along with the household. Two are decided to be called co-prisoners with Paul. One approved in Christ. One a close brother. One a chosen man of the Lord. One a city treasurer. One a deaconess or servant. One the first convert in Asia. One is a hard worker. One is a host. One is Paul's scribe. Now Ephesians tells us this much about the importance of Jesus, that he loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, the church is the body of Christ. That's us. 
And this descriptional term of bride in Christ is meant to help us understand that Christ's love for the church is not the building. It's you. It's me. We are his body. Fission sums up the whole thing when he says to us that Jesus gave himself up for us. The Bible uses the word church. We see it throughout the scriptures. You've heard it before. The Greek meaning in the New Testament, it means ekklesia, the called out ones. Why is the church, what is the church? What does he mean, a called out one? Everyone who is in Christ, you are the church. Over the years, the church tends to be something like a building. I'm going to church, meaning they're building. As one poet put it this way, the church is never a place, but always people. Never a fool, but always a flock. Never a sacred building, but always a believing assembly. The church is you who pray, not where you pray. Structures of brick or marble can no more be what a church, a church than the clothing you wear on your body. Jesus didn't die for the building. Jesus died for you. Every one of you. I want you to see this video. I have a maker He formed my heart Before even time from a song he knows my name point two talks about there are no unimportant people to God it teaches me there are no unimportant people to God that's what he teaches me he teaches you and I that when Jesus chose his 12 disciples there wasn't a one of them who would impress me or impress many of us mostly uneducated fishermen 
who had a rough life, always out repairing their boats and their nets. One of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector, and everybody loves tax collectors. In fact, people still hate tax collectors. One of the disciples is even a terrorist, Simon the Zealot. These are not the people I would have chosen to be if I wanted to create my church. There are no impressive people here. But you know, God isn't impressed by impressive people. God is not moved by pedigrees or diplomas or someone else's status in society. And God isn't overwhelmed by how much a person puts in the plate on Sunday. Several years ago, Beverly Steele Everett, in the lookout, made this observation that God was not perfect. First of all, God is tone deaf. Did you know that he is so tone deaf that he thinks the off-key singing of Jesus loves him by a five-year-old is beautiful? Beautiful as a solo from the Messiah by a trained soprano. No, God can't count. If he could count, he would know better than to accept a dime from a preschooler with the same joy he accepts a $1,000 donation from a rich man. God can't concentrate. He listens to millions and millions of prayers all at the same time instead of concentrating on those from famous preachers or important churches. God has poor eyesight. He doesn't see us as we are but keeps seeing us as we could be in Jesus. What she was saying was this. High and mighty people of this world are not the ones who impress God. Instead, he is impressed by those who are active members of his church, alive in his body. He is honored by those who honor him by living their lives in Jesus. The people who matter to God are the ones who give them their lives. What are you giving Jesus? It's because God has saved you through Jesus Christ. You've been set apart in the church, called out. In this church, there are no unimportant people. In this church, he knows your name. He knows everything about you. Thirdly, it testifies to me that that's me to me, God saves us to do his purpose in our lives. It testifies to me, God saves us to do his purpose in our lives. You know, God didn't waste ink on folks who just didn't show up, who just showed up. God didn't save you so you and I could just sit around and get fed. He saved us so we could learn to feed and care for others, others in the church, others outside the church. Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for me, Paul said. Not only I, but all the churches to the Gentiles are grateful to them. Mary, I don't, you know, I don't know who Mary was, but the folks in Rome did, worked very hard for you. Typhina and Tryphosa, those women, they worked hard to the Lord. Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Apelles was attested and approved in Christ. He suffered for his faith. And this goes on and on and on. Help us understand that these are God's people. You are God's people. These are the workers. These are the nuts and bowls of the body of Christ. Their names are listed in your Bible because God wanted you to know their names. You know, there aren't any preachers really mentioned except for Aquila who taught no one's identified as an elder or a deacon or a prominent teacher in the congregation. Why would that be? 
Well, I believe the following. It's because the church is not about famous teachers or preachers. It's not about powerful elders and deacons. The church is made up of people who accept Jesus Christ and are part of the body of Jesus. These are the folks who make up God's house, a real church. So I wonder, you know, what kind of things do these people do? Well, I probably taught Sunday school. Junior Church, VVS. <laughs> Wait a minute. They didn't have that back then. Maybe they were in small groups. Maybe they were just musicians on the stage. Who were these people? They didn't have that stuff like that back then. They didn't have Sunday school and VVS and such. What they were doing were called to to love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another. Let's not judge one another, accept one another, teach one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, pray for one another. The Christian who actually sought to do these things for each other, these were the people who got their names put in the book. There is a mega church in Vista, California. They made the headlines last October when they canceled all their excuse me when they canceled all their worship service over the weekend. Rather than meeting together in an air conditioned sanctuary, North Coast Church closes doors for what they called a weekend of service, providing churchgoers the opportunity to actually show their love in Jesus in their communities. Of the 7,000 believers who attend North Coast, over 5,500 came out to live out their commitment. As they tackled 139 service projects at 70 different locations throughout North San Diego County. Pastor Larry Osborne, who is a senior pastor, said, Our weekly service projects and our weekend of service is simply one more way to help our members understand that the church is what we are, not just something we go to. Now, there's a congregation that understands the concept of church. You are the salt of the world, earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. In this passage today, I hope you understand this is a catalog of names that have a vibrant testimony. Let me ask you again, how many of you plan to go home and memorize these names? As I conclude, Paul continues down a whole long list of gratitude to the different one-makers' lives. Sometimes we might wonder, I wonder if God can use me like that, Oliver Chambers wrote. It is the work that, goes, that God does through us that counts, not what we do for him. The Bible tells about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Romans. The potter cannot be questioned by the clay. Why did you make me this way? He is God's, and he can do what he wants. No two people here on earth have the same fingerprints, and no two people on this earth have the same divine gifts. Is your name in the Bible? Well, let me come almost to a close. Years ago, there was a bag lady in New York City. She had gone to the rescue mission in Manhattan, and to hear the preaching service. And after the service, they fed them a meal. 
she mentioned to the preacher she was now ready to give her life to Jesus and accept him in baptism. And she, she said, I never knew until today that my name is in the book, the Bible. The preacher kind of smiled. What's your name? She said, Edith. My name is Edith, and my name's in the Bible. Preacher said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you must be mistaken. The name Edith never appears in the Bible. He said, oh, yes, it does. You read it a few minutes ago in your sermon. You opened the Bible. She pointed her finger to Luke 15, 2. Preacher was using the King James Version, and it says, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. She said, There it is. Jesus receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. Huh, this is really good news, isn't it? Really good news. What about you? Where are you this morning? Satan's always worshiping and discouraging thoughts into your ears, but he knows what you've been conditioned to do. You know, the process is like the art of sculpturing. When he sets out to produce the famous statue of David, Michelangelo, you probably heard his story, closes, chose a discarded piece of stone. And later when he was asked why he, how he managed to carve the masterpiece from that more particular rough piece of stone, he replied, I did not carve David. I saw David in that piece of stone. And with the tools, I simply let him out. You know, God keeps sculpturing us. Why? Why does he do this? So you have true meaning in life, his life. The late Leonard Bernstein, composer, famed conductor for the New York Philharmonic, was asked what he believed to be the most difficult instrument in the orchestra to play. He responded, second fiddle. We must not understand the importance and significance why God placed us here at this point. But God placed you here. God wants your name. He knows what you're thinking right now. He wants you to be part of Jesus. He wants you to come to believe, to repent, to confess, to be baptized, and to grow in faithfulness in Jesus Christ. You know, we put our names on many things today. Many of you have insurance. Then you have car loans, house loans. Your names are put on as required. But sometimes we don't want to put our name, give our name to Jesus. Isn't it time you repent? Isn't it time you come to Jesus? Isn't it time if you're a member, not a member of First Christian, you get involved, become a member? We're God's people. We're just called out once. And yes, God knows your name. Will you not stand as we sing?